You know, one of my favorite things about our worship arts team here at Grace Point is not only are they capable in music, but their heart is transparent and real before you. Brad, I want to thank you for your word of testimony tonight. Not to lift up Brad, but he's one of many that come on this platform each and every Sunday. And if if you knew their stories, the way that I could see their story, you would begin to see that this is a sacrifice of praise. I sense that from you tonight. And as we go to God's Word, let's ask God to honor and bless the sacrifice of praise that we've been offering to Him and ask Him to speak to our hearts again. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the tremendous gift of being a part of this family where we can join together and make a conscious, on-purpose choice to give You what You deserve. In and out of season, You are holy. You are worthy of our praise. Lord, I thank You for not only what you have done this morning, but I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts tonight. So, Father, I pray that you would speak clearly. You would open our ears, open our minds and our hearts to receive what it is you have for us tonight. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bible. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 in just a couple moments. You most definitely will want to have your Bible each and every week. It's important to have your Bible with you, whether it's downloaded on your favorite device or it is your trusty print Bible in your hand. You're going to need God's Word. And if you, for some reason, don't have your Bible with you tonight, just scoot close to someone who does, uh, and we will share that together tonight. We've been in a series on Sunday night entitled Downpour. As you remember, it's, it's based off of a curriculum that James McDonald brings to us, but it's not James's curriculum so much as it is a pattern or a path going through God's Word looking at revival. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we started this whole thing looking at this call to revival and how we need a downpour. There's an invitation for this refreshing of our soul. There's this pathway to revival that we talked about, and, and we can experience it here and now. We began to look at these different pictures. First was the picture of God on the throne. And we looked at two weeks of these throne room scenes and we saw God's holiness. And and we can't experience a downpour. We can't experience revival in our heart. We can't experience a fresh touch from God without first seeing Him clearly. It all starts with seeing God for who He is. And then after looking at that for a couple of weeks, we then began to move to a a second picture. And it was a picture we started the last time we were in this series together. It was a picture of sin in the mirror. A picture of brokenness. As we dive into this tonight, I want to talk about some things that that I hate. I don't know if you have some things you hate. I, I was taught hate's a strong word. We're not supposed to hate anything. But if I'm honest, I hate going to the doctor. I hate it. Everything about it, I hate it. I hate the waiting room. I hate to be in the uh, exam room. I hate it when they, they want to poke and prod and, and, and write prescription and give you pills. I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. There's not anything about that process that I like. I mean, I don't like feeling sick. I guess I like getting better, but, but I don't like it. And as much as, as I hate it, I don't know that I really want a doctor who would just tell me the things that I want to hear. 
I mean, think about it. If you would go to a doctor and he takes an x-ray, and maybe he's looking at your, your lungs and, and he says, well, you see all these dark spots here in your lungs? D- don't worry about it. It's, it's probably nothing. It's, it's no big deal. Or he takes a printout of, of your blood work and, and he sees these levels that are spiking and that are dropping crazy low. He says, well, see all this? Don't really worry about it. It's, it's no big deal. Or a doctor, he looks at one of your limbs and, and there's pain in your limb and, and he begins to do a test and he begins to, to see that, you know, something is not right. But you know what? Don't worry about it. It'll, it'll just go away. I mean, what use is having a doctor who doesn't tell you the truth? I, I mean, sometimes I, I wonder what uses are going to the doctor. I don't like it. I, I, I don't enjoy it. I, I, I hate it at times. But if I'm going to go, I, I need to have a doctor who's going to tell me the truth. And, and tonight, I believe that we need to hear God's truth, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. You know, I, I think the, the elephant in the room on weeks like this week, when we're talking about sin, is, well, Pastor Brady, I just, <sighs> I don't really like talking about sin. And I really don't want you to talk about sin in my life. And this whole thing on sin in the mirror, you already preached on it once, but now part two, like again, really? If we're honest, it's, we don't like it. We can hate it. But no matter how much we don't like it, no matter how much we hate it, we need to hear God's truth about it. As God begins to point out things and we begin to see an x-ray of our life, we begin to see the the blood work, the levels in our life, we begin to see the fractures in our life, we could just say it's it's not a big deal. We could just say that's for somebody else. We could just say, you know what, that's a a good Wednesday night topic, Pastor Brady. That's a good Sunday morning topic, Brady. That's that's somebody, but but on Sunday night, I I don't want to hear it. Well, friend, I, I want you to know, I don't like talking about my sin either. It's not the most fun thing to talk about sin. But friends, we need to hear God clearly. We need to have His diagnosis. And here's why. Because when we begin to look at the diagnosis that God gives to us, as challenging as it may be, as painful as it may be, there's hope on the other side of receiving God's diagnosis in our life of sin. You see, sin... It will keep us from this downpour. When we start with a, a picture of God in His holiness on the throne, and then we move from the picture of who God is to the real crystal clear picture of who we are. And when we begin to see that what is stopping us, what's preventing us from breaking through, is our own willful disobedience. It's our own way that we make higher than God's way. While I may not like talking about it, When there's sickness, when there's pain, when there's infection, when there's a cancer, we need to allow the divine physician to not only diagnose us, but to begin to take us through the surgery to extract that from our life. We're spanning about three weeks, I think, from part one to part two. So maybe your memory is better than mine, but mine needs a little bit of a jogging of where we've been. A couple weeks ago when we looked at sin in the mirror, we first saw that sin brings God's wrath as we looked at Romans chapter 1. And this is not in your notes if you're looking for it. It's not there. I'm just going to give you a verbal reminder and update of where we've been. And then we began to see that not only does sin bring God's wrath, sin is inexcusable. There's no excuse for sin. There's, there's no situation, there's no scenario that we can paint a picture that excuses us, that removes us from this consequence of sin and God's wrath. 
Now, I told you, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. It's not real fun to talk about, but we need to allow God to speak to us. Why? He has a downpour He wants to put on us. He wants to overflow us with a fresh new blessing of His Spirit. And when we see Him clearly, and then we begin to see who we are clearly, He can begin to do something in our life. Press in for hope on the other side. Take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse 21 through 32 this evening. As you're taking notes there, it's number 3. We looked at the first two that we began to see what God was doing in our life about sin. But this third thought that I want to bring to you tonight is this. Sin has a pattern. There's a pattern to sin. I don't know if you have seen, I I think maybe it's on Discovery Channel or one of those learning channels, the the show called Brain Games. I think it's what it is, something like that. I I like that show because it, it it has a bunch of interesting things and then they'll give you this kind of test and do you see these dots moving like this and do you see this and they come back after commercial and say, none of it was there, your mind made it up. And they begin to unpack that sometimes these optical illusions that we see, these things that we, we try to connect dots, is we are wired, we are built to, to look for a pattern in things. And if I had more time tonight, we could talk about all the benefits and the blessings of that and how we use that in so many different areas of life. And it's, it's wired into your DNA that this existence of a pattern is not only something that we, we try to connect the dots on, but it's something that is powerful that God has given to us as a gift, when we can begin to predict and see a pattern, we can learn from that pattern. This isn't rocket science. Don't make it too hard. You understand the things that you learned as a child. Putting your hand on the stove hurts. You don't do it again. It's helpful for someone to tell you, don't put your hand on the stove, but it just takes that one time to do it and you never do it again. I remember my parents telling me, Brady, don't stick things in the electrical socket. You're good parents. That's what you're supposed to say to your kids. Don't do that. But why? Why shouldn't I? I was about seven years old. It was around Christmas time. And and I saw the little metal hooks that you put on the ornaments. And I thought that would fit perfect into an electrical outlet. This would be great. I don't know why I did this. But I experienced that, Paul. The bite of the electricity. Until I experienced that, it got my attention. I could begin to see, oh, if I do A and B, I get C. There's a pattern to it. There's a flow to it. There's a logic to it. If I begin to do X, Y will follow. Sin, it has a pattern. Now, the enemy wants to lie to us and will get us to think that sin is so mysterious. It's so vague. It's just so fuzzy that... You you can never really know. You can never really know what is right. You can never really know what is wrong. I mean, for you and in your situation, you can never really have an idea of what is up or what is down. You, You can't really know. But friends, that's not what the Bible gives us. There is a very clear pattern to sin. Next, we begin to see in this pattern that this sin pattern starts every time it starts with a failure to honor God. A failure to honor God. Carrie, can you hand me my water there? I'm going to need that, I think. As we begin to see this failure to honor God, it's in every aspect of sin. It's in every category, at every stage of our life. Whenever sin enters in, it starts with this failure to honor God. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile 
and their speculations, or your translation may say, and their thinking or their thoughts. And their foolish heart was darkened. Now, notice this pattern of sin. It starts with this failure to honor God. And we may not like to talk about sin, but I'm suggesting tonight that we like to talk about this pattern even less. It's not this idea of this absolute right or wrong that we think about as much, but it's this starting with just not honoring God. It's the beginning path to sin. It takes us every time. It happens every single time when I begin to not honor God. I'm on my way to sinning against God. Now, they knew in their hearts that there was a God. It wasn't that they were ignorant of God. It wasn't even that they didn't believe in God, but they chose not to honor God. You see, that's the essence of sin. It's not honoring God. Also, as you read on in that verse, what's it tell us? They, they didn't do what? They didn't give thanks to God. They didn't honor God. They didn't give thanks to God. Well, give thanks for what? For breath in your lungs, for the life that you have. Now, I've been looking at all of you for at least a couple minutes, and most of you look alive. Most of you look like you have breath in your lungs. You know, if we look at the obituaries together here in our city, more people died this week. Each and every week, people die. Some you may know, many we don't know. But none of us have found this way to stop death from happening. Life is not something that's owed to us. It is this gift given to us. And we are to thank God for the very life that we have. Thank Him for His provisions. There is so many things we can thank God for. They didn't honor God. They didn't thank God. See, the, the attitude we need to have is gratitude. You've heard the saying that we've talked about before. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living now that's hard for me to say i practice that a couple times gratitude thankfulness is the attitude it's the it's the mindset that sets the tone for how high your life can soar when we begin to honor god give him his rightful place when we begin to thank god for what he's given to us it can be a safeguard for us to to skirt around to navigate around sin that destroys our life the absence of that is also true. It starts with a failure to honor God, and then it moves in the second step, this pattern of sin. It's futile thinking. Some of you in your translations, it doesn't say futile thinking. It may say foolish thinking or futile speculation. The middle part of the verse of 21 says this look in your bibles but they became futile in their speculation or their thinking they became foolish in their thinking it's this pointless meaningless thinking it's thinking that's not rigorous it's not sound it's thinking that's not rooted in rational thought why because it's allowing sin to drive its course it's thinking it is allowing your mind to drift and wander into things that it has no business wandering in. It's, it's this idea of, of futile, foolish thinking that is the next stage in sin. It's as if one person w would say, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you making those choices? Well, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of what, what felt good to me at the time. 
Well, isn't that wrong? Well, I don't know if it's absolutely wrong or not. I mean, it may be wrong for you. It may be wrong for that person. But for me, you know, it's just, it kind of was what worked best for me. Well, well, how's that working out for you? Well, not too good, but you know, I'm kind of comfortable in this, this, this line of, of action. This is foolish, futile thinking. There's no discipline to the thought. There's no godly logic to the thought. It's allowing our mind to construct whatever we need to construct to support our position in what we are doing that's disobedient to God. And when I don't honor God, when I don't thank God, when I begin to allow my thoughts to shift and move in any which way they want to go, it is the path that leads this pattern of sin to explode in our life. We see a failure to honor God leading to futile or foolish thinking. And then letter C here in your outline is, it's foolish religion. Where do you get that, Brady? It's it's in the text. Look at it. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing... To have wisdom, to be wise, to know what was right, to know what was wrong, they became fools. I believe that's a good picture for a lot of secular university campuses across our country. A lot of proclamation of wisdom, a lot of self-building up of their thought, but yet they are becoming fools in their futile thinking, their lack of honoring God. Read on in verse 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures or snakes that your translation may say. And they're not honoring or worshiping God, but they begin to worship whatever they see fit. They begin to fashion their own idols. You see, everybody's worshiping something. You're living for something. You're ascribing worth to something. And if you're not worshiping God, you're making your own idol. And it's this foolish religion. It's this fool's way of worshiping something other than truth. This abstract thought is one thing to talk about sin. But we really begin to think about The escalation of sin, that's the fourth one there. Sin, it only escalates. But before we unpack that and we get in that together tonight, I want to just pause right here. The men have been studying in this book called The Divine Mentor. And and Wayne Cadero has just been pointing us in a direction of understanding how valuable God's Word is and how we can allow the men and women of Scripture, the heroes and the scoundrels, to speak into our life, to be mentors that are living and breathing in our life through God's inspired Word. And one of the thoughts that was in our reading in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure which week it was, but it talks about how when we come to Christ, we first deal a lot with understanding and talking and learning what is right and what is wrong. But most of us, we feel like we kind of progressed to a place where we've kind of felt the parameters around us of what is right and wrong, and and Satan does not get us tripped up so much in these black and white issues that we kind of constructed for ourselves, but he begins to get us to fall in areas of what is wise or unwise. We may lift up or exalt this wrong action or this wrong attitude or this wrong speech, and then we begin to not give too much attention to this unwise action, this unwise attitude, this unwise form of speech. Friend, when we begin to look at this pattern to sin, I 
I don't want to sugarcoat it. When we don't honor God in every area of our life, it's going to lead you to sin. And sin will lead you to death. When I don't live an attitude of thanksgiving oozing out of me and praising God in season and out of season, no matter where I find myself, it's a path that's going to lead to sin. When I begin to allow futile or foolish thinking, undisciplined thought, letting my mind run with whatever is found in it, leads to sin and this foolish religion beginning to worship things other than God himself will lead to sin. What is wise for you to think about? What is wise for you to fill your vocabulary with? What is wise for you to meditate on? This idea, the fourth one here, that sin, it doesn't stop. This pattern continues to grow and go faster and faster. And sin will escalate. The consequences of sin unchecked or spelled out here in these next eight verses. Look at verse 24 with me. Therefore, God gave them over. Now now skip down to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over. And look at verse 28, in the middle of verse 28. God gave them over. He gave them over to what? As as they began to move down this path, this pattern of sinful living, God gave them over to their sinful desire. He he relinquished his control in their life and said, I'm going to allow you to bring destruction upon yourself. And God gave them over to what it was they were living for and moving towards. This pattern of sin is, is so important. We cannot miss this escalation stage of sin. God will allow you, he will allow me to get caught up in the snowball effect of one sinful action and attitude compounding on one after the other. This unchecked sin, God will not force you out of the pattern. Now, Pastor Brady, I know you kind of said we need to talk about the elephant in the room, but really, like, all night, can't we talk about something else? Like, this is depressing me. This is, this is for someone else. I, I don't do those bad things. I don't have any of that in my life. So give me something else. Really? We need to ask God to look at us. We need to take an honest look at, are we at a place where we're ready to experience a downpour? Do I see God for who He is? Am I saying, God, search my heart. Is there any wicked way in me? And if you find it, God, would you rip it out? Would you tear it out? Would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? It's kind of what God's been teaching Carrie and I this year about food. I, I have discovered my love for certain vegetables and fruit that like I never thought I would love. And since God's taken us on this different eating plan, and, and I'm not harping about how you eat, that's between you and God, and, and if you're getting mad or feel something about that, then maybe God's speaking to you. I'm not telling you what you should do with your food. I'm just telling you what's happened in my life. And God called us clearly to not eat certain things and, and to eat other things. And, and as that began to take place, I began to discover tomatoes are amazing. Oh, they are sweet. Now, I, I've always liked tomatoes. I mean, they give us ketchup. That's good. You know, they give us salsa. That's better. I mean, there's lots of good things that come from tomatoes. But, but just to take a tomato and slice it open and just eat it. It's juicy. It's sweet. It's good. So good. And I don't know if you've had raisins lately. I don't think I ate raisins since I was like in preschool. And this last year I started eating raisins again. It's like candy. It's amazing. 
But as I was talking to someone else, I said, you know, I don't know why I never ever had a taste for this. And they reminded me of a truth that I had forgotten. That if you fill your taste buds with this raw, this processed sugar, with this chemicals, all these other junk that we feed our body, it ruins our taste buds for the sweetness, for the great taste of other things. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, if, if I filled my body with Mountain Dew over and over and over again in these artificial sweeteners, when I would taste raisins, it wasn't anything great. If I would load up on gas station candy, and you've heard me talk about it, oh, I, I kept Lassus in business for a while. I think they're struggling this, this season. I didn't want to confess to them. I may be a reason they're struggling. But as I would load up on all this sugar and stuff, it would run my appetite for the healthy. I began to chew on this thought and this concept, and as God was talking to me about sin and these, these areas that we're talking about tonight, you know, some of us, we, we have to talk about sin. We need to understand sin. Why? Why is this so important? To get how good God's grace is. Have you found yourself in a worship environment when someone is just so blessed, they're so excited about God's grace, and if you're really honest, you go, what's their deal? What? Really? Like, that much excitement? Yeah? That many tears? That much reverence? I mean, God's grace is good and all. Hell sounds bad and all. But I'm, I've got work to do this week. Hey, friend, you are spoiled for the, the goodness, the greatness of God, His tremendous grace in your life if you don't understand the potency, the poison of sin in our life. We begin to fill our hearts and our minds with so much junk, so many things, that when we begin to taste and see the goodness of God, it doesn't taste so good because we're living in a lie. We've been tasting, we've been consuming things that are so foreign to what God has intended us to have. We don't see how good they are. So were raisins not really good a year ago? They were just as good, but my appetite, my taste buds, my body was spoiled. I couldn't receive the nutrients. Oh, I found ways to manipulate how to try to lose weight and do those kind of things. I wasn't real good at it, but I could manipulate it. I was the king of Weight Watchers. I could get all my points at Arby's, and I could be fine. I had very little nutrients coming in my body, very little vitamins coming in my body. But when I began to say, God, would you eradicate? Would you rip out from the root? Would you take out the things that he was telling me? I'm not telling you what to do with your food. That's the secondary thing. So if you're going to get mad about that, then take it up with God. But when we get, get rid of that kind of stuff, it began to open up a wealth of nutrition for my body. And it was not legalistic. It was fun. There's enjoyment. And I began to see that certain places that I would go eat that I thought was so great and so healthy, I'm like, I can do that better at home. I'm not that good of a cook, but I can, I can get it fresher at home. I can prepare it even better at home. I can begin to take in what I know is real nutrients in food. And as we begin to understand this escalation of sin, friend, it's not that I want to depress you tonight. It's not that I want to get you to feel false guilt tonight. It's not that I want to talk you into some problem that you're not experiencing. I want to remind you how good and great God's grace is in your life. And until we understand what we look like in the mirror, we could never experience the downpour. Who He is is made so fuzzy by a skewed idea of who we are. Well, Brady, you're saying that, that God will give us over to the sin in our life. How does this happen? What does He give us over to? What does it look like? Well, this sin escalating, it, it's starting with this unrestrained passion. 
It's unrestrained passion. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 24. It's this attitude that says, I want it. Even if it's wrong, I want what I want. No boundaries, no guardrails, no safety net, no regulations. I want what I want. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in their lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's this unrestrained passion that we see sin begin to escalate and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Sadly, that's not the end of this escalation. Unrestrained passion leads to perversion. Now, it's at this point that we often enter into the discussion on sin. Sin is those perverse people doing those perverse things, doing those wicked, far-out actions. It's not all this other stuff. But friend, we have taken this pattern all the way to this point, and it leads to this point, but it doesn't start at this point. It's this attitude. It's more than just saying, I want what I want, but it says, I want what I want, even though it's wrong, and even though it may hurt someone else, I still want it. I don't care who it hurts, I want it. Look at verse 26 of Romans 1. For this reason God gave them over to the degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error that's right pastor brady preach it it's to those people who do that sin over there it's wicked it's perverse hey don't misunderstand romans 1 this is not elevating or escalating one particular sin over another all sin separates us from god paul is taking one sin and i believe this is a pattern this is an outflow of every sin possible i'll show you in the text why i believe that but this is beginning to say hey look it takes you farther than what you would ever imagine you've heard the saying sin takes you farther than you want to go unrestrained passion leads to perversion which leads to pandemonium it's this chaos. It's the attitude that says, there is no wrong. It starts with saying, I want what I want, even though it's wrong. It moves to, I want what I want, even though it's wrong, and I don't care who it hurts. And then it moves, it escalates. Who's to say what I'm doing is wrong? There is no wrong. Everything just breaks loose, and this pandemonium happens. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a deprived mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of stuff. The point that Paul is making here is the pattern in sin always escalates. It always expands. One pet sin always gives birth to more and to more and to more. Sin always takes us farther than we intend on going. 
If sexual sin is not the area in which Satan is attacking you, you look at the rest of this list. Is it unrighteousness? Is it envy? Is it strife? Is it deceit? Is it an attitude of malice? How gossip made this list. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. Disobedient to parents. Really? With murder? Untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. It all begins to come off when we see this explode in pandemonium. I suggest to you today that whatever sin God wants to show you in the mirror, whatever sin He's highlighting in your life, what He wants to rip out of your life, whatever it is, if it's left unchecked, it will follow the same pattern that we are talking about. Unrestrained pursuit of that thing leads to greater and greater destruction. And the continued pursuit of that area of sin leads to an all-out pandemonium of sin exploding in our life. And finally, in verse 32, it leads to promotion of the same. It leads to promotion of the same. The attitude started with, I want it. I want it even if it hurts others. There's no real wrong anyway. And now it's, I've got to promote it. I want everyone else to join me in what it is I'm doing. Verse 32, although, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They become salesmen and proponents, PR managers of the sin that they are committing themselves. It's no longer enough to do what I want. It's no longer enough to do what I want no matter who it hurts. It's no longer enough to say that what I'm doing is not really wrong. It's now my high that I'm chasing to get other people to join me in my disobedience. The fifth and final thing that I believe we need to look at tonight is when we see sin in the mirror, it's a reminder that it's not too late. Verse 23, 25, 26. And they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds, of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Skip down to verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creatures rather than the Creator. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Do you see that God, when we put Him in His rightful place, He is the antidote of sin. When we begin to see that what got them in this mess was not putting God in the place that He deserved to be, we can see the answer to the sin is saying, God, I see the picture in the mirror of sin in my life, and I want to put you in your rightful place. Would you begin to deal with this sin problem in my life? Do you need help finding sin in the mirror? <laughs> this is one of the most uh, unpopular teaching tools that I think I've ever used. I've used it before, so we're going to do it again. That's okay. I love you anyway. <laughs> My inbox will be full this week. That's okay. Turn your notes over and look on the back. Let me give you my disclaimer. I'm not trying to chart out or list out every possible sin. And let me save you a lengthy email. I'm not trying to say that this one word encapsulates every aspect of disobedience, but I, I do want this to prick our hearts. This action, this attitude, this fruit in our life, this byproduct in our life points to not honoring God. It points to futile or foolish thinking. It points to us wanting our own way. It points to us trying to get others to join us in this way. 
is it that we try to be so generic with sin that we never ever get down to the the plank that's in our own eye? Could it be an addiction? I don't do drugs. I don't use alcohol. Friend, anything that you are a slave to other than Jesus Christ is not pleasing to Him. Is it adultery? Is it anger? Is it a spirit of being argumentative? Is it bigotry? Is it bitterness? Is it boastfulness? Is it bossiness? Anybody blessed yet? Is it causing dissension? Is it conceit? Is it being controlled by your emotions? Controlled by peer pressure? Covetousness? A critical tongue? Deceitfulness? Depression? Dishonesty? Disrespectful? Being domineering? Being dependent on any kind of substance other than God to an unhealthy place? Drunkenness? Envy? False guilt? False modesty? False witness? Hold on. I don't like those. I don't think those should be there. Is it of God or is it not? Is it a fruit of godliness or is it fruit of something else? Fear. Feeling helpless. Hey, that's how I feel. Feeling rejected. Wait a minute. Feeling stupid. Hold on. Sinful? Hey, is this God's words about you or are you buying into a lie of somebody else? Satan's lie to you. Gluttony. Gossip. Greediness. Hatred. Lust. Homosexual lust. Hostility. Idolatry. Impatience. Impulsiveness. Laziness. Low self-esteem. Lying. Negativism. It goes on and on. And this isn't an exhaustive list. There's many aspects where we can see that we don't honor God. There's many aspects where we can begin to take our will and put it above God's will. But when we get specific and a list like this, we begin to say, God, is any of this evident in my life? It's not to say that if I go through this list and there's no check marks there, then everything must be okay. But it's beginning to say, God, whoa, there's a whole aspect, more than just your Ten Commandments. God, it's not if it's just right or wrong. Is it wise or unwise for me? Is it productive or is it not productive? Paul would say, while it may even be permissible, is it beneficial in my life? Paul said this. Remember the guy we talked about this morning? The guy who was murdering Christians? The guy who was raging against Jesus Christ had this encounter with him. And God began to do some things in his life. He had to show him sin in the mirror. To the point that he had to blind him. Remember that this morning? He couldn't see spiritually because he was so full of his earthly sight that he couldn't see the condition of his heart. Well, Pastor Brady, what, what do we do about this? Confess your sin. Well, that sounds simple, but what do we do? We confess our sin. Ask God to show you what's going on in your life. Ask Him to remove this cancer of sin from your life. Let Him begin to do surgery in your life. It starts with confessing to God. Confessing means I'm going to say the same thing about what God has said about that action. And you need God to show you that. In His provenient grace, when we talked about this morning, His grace that runs to you, He will point out things in your life, in my life. Actions, attitudes, things that are not pleasing to Him. And we need to say, God, that is sin. I confess it to you. The second one is, is even... I think some of a greater challenge. We know that when we confess it to Him, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us of our sin. I believe the second thing He calls us to do is to find someone, find somebody this week to confess your sin to. Men with men, women with women. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now don't misunderstand this. 
We don't confess our sin to any other person to receive forgiveness. Only Jesus can forgive us of our sin. But we confess our sin one to another. Why? So your friend can hold you accountable. So your friend can say, hey, hey, we've dealt with this. You've confessed before God. We're going to put this behind us. Let's see the victory that's coming ahead. And it brings healing to our life. Satan wants us to sweep it under the rug and and not shine light on it. God always brings it into the light. And when we have accountability, there is healing that takes place in this. Next week, we're going to talk about the journey of repentance. But as we come to a conclusion tonight, in a topic that I don't like, You know what, if we get real honest, if we don't like sin, that's kind of a good place to start with how God feels about it. God hates sin. If we get uncomfortable talking about sin, maybe it's, it's an indicator that God has already said some things to us that we're not so sure we want to identify. As we pray tonight, I'm asking God to not only speak to our hearts, But I'm asking God to put back into our speech pattern a crystal clear vocabulary on sin. In a world that is preoccupied with pleasing people, giving people what they want over what they need, I don't see much use for a spiritual hospital that just says x-rays are fine, broken bones are no big deal cancerous masses won't lead to any problem jesus said he didn't come for the healthy he came for the sick he came to seek and to save the lost and as we saw this morning when we begin to get healing from jesus he calls us in to that transformation process with someone else and so if god is speaking to you about sin in the mirror then by all means begin to confess it to him confess it to a brother and sister we're going to talk next week on how we get freedom and repentance but possibly god is speaking to you tonight about sin to give you a vocabulary to give you a boldness to give you his holy passionate love for the people around you to say hey friend I love you enough to say, I see sickness. I see pain. No, don't be ignorant and obtuse about it. Don't begin to try to help and fix someone that you have not earned the right to speak into their life. But do we love people enough? Do we love the gift of life that God has given to us enough to be honest with what it is He's saying about sin? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just feel the overwhelming need even more than ever. Would you take any of my words tonight that are not beneficial to your truth? Would you allow them to fall away very, very, very fast? God, would you direct any uneasiness, uncomfortableness, aggravation, bitterness, pride would you direct it to what it really is Lord may we not only welcome your diagnosis in our life but may we begin to see the hope that's on the other side God I thank you for the word picture that you gave me a couple weeks ago as I was reading that while you bring your divine encouragement 
you speaking in truth into our life is like a one-pedaled bicycle. You invite us to do our part by putting into action to apply, to be obedient to what it is that you've said, to feel the full momentum of your truth. So, Father, would you cause us to have the boldness to obey what you say tonight in your grace that goes before, not in our own strength, our own righteousness, our own self-discipline, but in the very boldness you give us. Would you give us courage to obey, to call out the things that you point out to us for what they are? It's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I've never professed to be a prophet.